Okay, hi, this is Nato Green uh, with Guy Branham and Tom Amiano uh, sitting outside a coffee shop. There's uh, never any sun, and now it's like baking me. Right. <laughs> and Guy and Tom were just discussing the proper name for the uh, <laughs> sexual fetish of handling feces. So uh, we're off to the races with a hella gay podcast episode. Uh, first question, okay. Uh, California State Assemblyman, stand-up comedian Tom Amiano, uh, uh, stand-up comedian, comedy writer, hero to many, Guy Branham. Guy! Uh, uh, so here's, here's what's happening is uh, Tom and I taped an episode a while ago uh, talking about Tom's time as a stand-up comic. Shortly after that, I ran into Tom at a political function, and you said, Nato, we need to tape a follow-up episode uh, to talk about the history of camp as an indigenous gay form of humor. I said, sounds good. I mentioned that to my dear friend Guy Branham, and Guy said, I'm driving up from Los Angeles for that. And then last week, Guy, you said to me, uh, I was thinking that it was going to be that I was crazy to drive up to San Francisco for one night to tape a podcast, and then I realized... I was about to get to sit down with Tom Amiano, and it made me cry. Other than the fact that you're someone who wears your heart on your sleeve in general, why is that? Um, and I, <laughs> are you okay with me outing your feelings? Um, my, feeling, my feelings are pretty out to begin with because it's Tom Amiano, and like, um, you know, I, getting to sit down with somebody who fought the fight that let me be here in so many ways like is something that's wonderful uh, and the fact that you did it so consistently um, through like not by dress like you look lovely in ties but not yeah. by dressing it up in a tie and a blazer and saying oh we can look normal just like regular white guys and talk just as boring as you like please try to ignore the fact that we fuck in the butt um, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and Tom magnificently managing to, uh, you know, uh, em embrace the fullness of his identity and demand that that be respected as uh, a thing of, uh, you know, uh, intellect that deserves to be respected, but not too much. Yeah. Uh, well, you're very kind. You know, this reminds me of um, about 100 years ago, there was a guy named Alex Bennett, um, I think it was 105. I can't remember. And uh, really, this was quite a while ago. And he had a show on in the morning, and he would have all the comics there. Uh, and somehow or other, uh, I finagled my way on onto that show. And so, there, so you know, the comedy world is so much friggin' competition. You know, you can't say hello without someone trying to make it. And so I was the gay guy. There. And believe me, it was really early in the morning. It was very homophobic because it started like at six. So I, I would go in at six. <laughs> the end up wasn't uh, even closed yet. <laughs> <laughs> it never closes. It never. Anyway, um, the, back, the, the back and forth kind of reminds me of this morning. I haven't done this um, in a long time. So, uh, and uh, he would never... Alex Bennett would never hire me to do any of the comedy shows that he produced, um, but I could be on the radio. And that, that did a lot. People still come up to me, as I remember, 30 years. I think that Alex Bennett now is doing something with satellite radio or something. He's, well, I always gave Tom Amiano the break. You know, now he's, now he's not fucking funny anymore because he's in politics. Yeah, okay. Uh, so there you are. Uh, so, Tom, you should know that, that So there has been this progression that Guy has, has carried on of like at that basically telling 
uh, gay comics that they have the license to bring the hammer down in the San Francisco comedy scene to, you know, call out and denounce some of the outward expressions of homophobia. Yeah, oh yeah. Coming up. Well, it's just... Hey, one time I came here like a year ago or a couple of years ago, and like somebody said something that was just like grossly broy, and I was like, Who, "Who's running things now? Who who should have slapped you down about stuff like this and made you frightened?" And then I had a talk with Casey Lai, uh, <laughs> but it it is like this is one of the few places in America where comics start out and they do have to deal with gay comics on a regular basis and do have to sort of like understand us as a perspective and not just a hilarious cartoon character to be made fun of. Yeah, when I when started, I went to the Holy City Zoo and it, I always say it's, it's, it's okay to make fag jokes, but it's not okay if you're a fag. And um, we got hassled so much um, by the other comics who then sometimes off stage they go, you know, I really like you. You're really funny. You know, I don't take it personal. Yeah, this way did the boxcars don't take it personal. <laughs> and the, the, the other problem was, too, you know, I, I was a bit older, <clears throat> and I didn't know the craft. I couldn't even use a mic, you know, and I was nervous, too. I had, like, this nervous thing that I did. Uh, but there was no safe, since it wasn't safe, you know, that's where the Valencia Rose came from. And so that's where we established that. And then you had every permi- every permutation. You had people who would be out and come to gay comedy night. That's what we called it for lack of it, any other kind of identity. And then they go back and they wouldn't be gay. Yeah. And so then when you went to the, cl- the clubs and you said, I want, I want to be hired now. I got this year under my belt. I got a routine. They would say, oh, we do hire gay people, but it'd be the person who wasn't out. And there was a show on Channel 9 called uh, Comedy Tonight or something like that, kind of a boring title. And they, I, I guess, marketed local comics you know, all over the nation. And they repeatedly refused to have any of the openly gay comics on. And then one time they had the nerve, and this is even the worst thing that was ever said. One, thing, one time they had the nerve as well. We, we did hire an out one, uh, Kate Clinton. I don't know if you know Kate. And I said, I watched it. I didn't hear her say anything. And yeah. she goes, listen to the beginning. And she goes, hi, thank you for coming out. That was their, <laughs> that was their defining moment for being an openly gay comic. And then the closet mentality was fucking overwhelming because it's supposed to be showbiz and people sleep with dogs. And, but, you know, gay ass. So the, uh, uh, there was a few out comics. We've talked about this before. They were really rude. Not out, closeted. And then uh, there was a guy who was one of the owners of the comedy clubs. And uh, he said, well, you know, now, you know, like with AIDS and stuff, I think it's free, you know, we're not going to be able to have you because you're free people out. So they, and he was gay. Himself, so I, I did a routine about that, about wiping the uh, uh, very elegant routine, <laughs> wiping the mic on my button, saying, "Here, you have nothing to be afraid of." Uh, <laughs> so there you are, a little bit of that that history, and see, that's what you're. It's it's residual, but it all it also came down to money, you know. And they had a, a, a what we called in Jersey a bridge and tunnel crowd at the time, so they, you know, there was just a lot of dangerous stuff too where we did something at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is Tommy T's and it was it was a time of Quaaludes it's 1984 and they gave the straight comics a bad time uh-huh. so when I got up there it was just bl- a blood sport I couldn't even do do my routine and now I understand that they have a gay comedy night there it's a mini yeah. it's a mini series <laughs> we've been reduced to a mini series so uh, so <clears throat> you wanted to talk about camp yeah you know I did a little research too um um, 
there's an academic approach to camp, and I don't know if you remember Susan Sontag, but she actually did like a piece on it, like a, a treatise on what she thought camp was and all that. And <clears throat> I mean, the most common thing that's said about camp is that it's outrageous, it's over the top, and it's effeminate. I love the effeminate. In fact, I like to put three Fs in effeminate. That's how much <laughs> I like effeminate. But, you know, I, I, I was thinking of the performance part of it. There is a, 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 there is a nuance to camp that sometimes things are campy, in quotes, just as a trend and then no more. You know, so there should be like a distinction between the how people perform camp as opposed to kitsch, you know. And um, I just think of Jose Saria, you know, the Empress, uh, the widow Norton, and putting always putting that spin on it. It's like we're in on the joke um, <clears throat> and taking it so far that some people actually think it's art, you know, which I never I never took it that seriously. But I always like to read. Of of camp, <clears throat> on especially gay stuff, and since it's supposedly originated <clears throat> with gay men, uh, it that, that seemed like a, a logical thing, you know. Well, so I mean, w- w- one of the things that's interesting to me is like the I think the you know the way that you had expressed it to me about it as as being an indigenous gay form of humor, and you know it sort of recalls to me like. There's this great uh, line by the Native American novelist Sherman Alexie that there's something inherently funny about genocide, uh, (laughs) which is, uh, you know, that I am sort of very familiar with, like, the, you know, Jewish humor that essentially, you know, and the traditions of Jewish humor that that combined, uh, uh, you know, the perspective of the outsider. You flipped it. Find it, finding yeah. laughter in the in the darkness. You know, people talk about the idea of the Yiddish kvetch. You know, the 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 happy and sad at the same time. You know, f- fused with like Talmudic legal reasoning in order to deconstruct the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea that there's some sort of comedic voice <clears throat> that is tied to this identity in a particular community, I think, is really fascinating. Well, I mean, I think the thing that is most fascinating about it is it rests on gays as relatively invisible minority that it is about this difference between the story that you're telling isn't the story that you're telling. It's moving past the story that somebody is obviously telling into what's really going on there. Like drag queens, like the, the process of criticizing someone is called reading them. It is about like... Like, why don't I tell you about your soul for a for a while? Like, whatever you're trying to present Mary, to let me. let me read your beats. <laughs> With the drag queens, I thought of Jose Sadia again. <clears throat> One of his expressions, you know, was, Mary, get off my dress. <laughs> and I thought that was a perfect repost uh, to uh, what Facebook was trying to do. Was it Facebook? Yeah. yeah. It was Facebook. I get them all mixed up, you know. Um and, and the comic opera part of it, and to me it was always a survival thing, <clears throat> that you could turn it around. And oppression works in many ways. <clears throat> so when the first gay comics, <clears throat> you know, presented themselves as who they were, there were gay men and, and women in the audience who were offended by that because they felt you were giving away a secret or you were making fun of them rather than making fun of what... And people walked out, you know. And I, you know, what could you do? You weren't going to stop because some people walked out. <clears throat> One time I, we had, <clears throat> what was it called? <clears throat> Domestic partners on Valentine's Day. And I was asked to be there. And I made a remark about, ah, I love gay weddings. 
bride, groom, bride, bride, you know, whatever, uh, and we're all cruising at the same time. Right. Well, I got so many hate letters. How dare you say we cruise, you know? Uh, so there you go. Well, about missing points. Well, there's something so interesting about the fact that there are these uh, people who take their emotions very seriously and, like, get think of it as a slave mentality that we are constantly trashing the things that we're supposed to be excited about. But I just think that there's such a weird beauty in that. That, like, yes, it comes from a place of, of things being crappy, but, like... Gay people are never going to be the majority of society. We're in in the vast majority of cases are never going to grow up with gay parents, and like shit's just gonna be structurally hard. So, like you're gonna you're gonna want to talk some shit. So, so what do you know about about the historical origins of camp? Uh, there's a French word. You know, there's always <laughs> there's always a French word. Flemish, uh, uh, I think the word. No, it was it, it sounded. <laughs> It sounded like camp, you know, you know, what the, um, and it meant literally th- this list of things over the top, ostentatious, uh, and always, always effective. And it, from that, it, it worked its way into um, the gay male culture of the time, and then which is which is when? Uh, well, this would be really like the 1910, 1920, but it, it it started up again about in the 60s. But if you look at some of the movies that were made in the 30s, they always had the Pee Wee Herman type guy. He was always the butler. I can't think of these character actors' names, but they were so uh, outrageously queeny, but never, yeah. I mean, yeah. so it was like, again, a closet thing. You can, you can act it. Don't ask, don't tell. But yeah. you can, and they were fabulous. Edward Horton, I think, was one of them. They had all these little eccentricities when they came on, and it, uh, it was great. We're, we're reaching such an interesting point in representations of of gay men right now because it has for such a long period of time been something that was a source of comedy and now but now we have this weird anxiety about putting the actual label on it and like putting like figuring out who is that guy when he's actually a human being mm-hmm. and goes home and takes off his wig and puts on a, a different <laughs> his at home well, wig I, um, what I'm <coughs> <laughs> Harvey Milk always said take the ass out of assimilation <laughs> and I'm, I'm a big fan of that, you know, the, the celebrating the different, I mean, because uh, it's a way, it's, it's just like with the Jewish humor, it's turning it around, and it's true that some people are, are off-put by that, or some people don't see it uh, as a value, but if you look at the respect that really a lot of people have for drag queens and that whole art and form and, and all that, and countered by the people who are still... Tri- who still trivialize it? Kind of, yeah. kind of missed the, missed the. We we're in on the joke. Yes, uh, we're smart. What's like, Oscar Wilde is this very, very heightened sort of that same thing of like play between what's being represented and what's being actually said, and his characters were super campy, but the it was respectable, so you you didn't look at it that way, like um, because they're. We always understand camp as being something a little bit trashy and a little bit... Um, Fabulous. Good, yes. Good. <laughs> um, uh, Nathan Lane just did a, 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 a Broadway show, the, a, where, the Nance. Yeah. And that was kind of the vaudevillian thing. You would do the extremely effeminate thing and get a lot of laughs, but you never said you were gay. And you were just acting. If you were doing that, you weren't really gay offstage. And that was the... 
the uh, strum and drang of the Nathan Lane character. You know, he was being a Nancy, he was gay, but he, he always denied it until it became impossible, I guess. Or something. It's, I'm always stunned by those gay guys who want to be gay but are so put off by campy showiness. It just feels like you're missing out on most of the fun parts. Yeah, we call them the A-gays. We call them a lot of things. And there's a lot the in gay San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, the gay was They don't want... <laughs> they don't want to... Uh, they, they trivialize it, look down upon it, you know. Um, Robin Williams did an imitation of me. Did I talk about this last time? Because no. I tend to repeat now that I'm... Um, so, you know, at Comedy Day, which was a breakthrough to do... Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, he would come and comedy day they always wanted a proclamation so you know you'd write we honor them and etc so i i left so apparently he read the proclamation as if it was me so people say oh you know he did it oh well robin williams that's kind of an honor and but they were kind of cautious on how they told me so we uh, at the harvey milk film they were making it at city hall uh he showed up and i was with cleve jones you know the other way gay icon whatever and we went up to Robin Williams, and, we, and I said, I heard you do an imitation of me. And he goes, well, yeah. So both of us said, well, do it. Well, it was so fucking politically incorrect and inappropriate, but we were holding each other up. I was laughing so hard. So it's that thing of not taking yourself seriously. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, maybe that was his, his point. But he always did an exaggerated gay thing. Yeah. Uh, which was supposed to be me, and I like that. If I'm an archetype, then fine, fuck everybody. But... Um, <laughs> um, I don't know where, if there is a middle ground, if you want a middle ground. I just, I just wanted him to know that we got the joke that he was doing. He w- wasn't, you know. Well, there's something so interesting about, like, trying to be at a point where we can be fun in us, but also admitting that we are gay and not being played by straight people. Have you seen Looking? What are your thoughts on wait, Looking? Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to sure. Looking, I know you're telling okay. me a bit about this, but before we go to Looking, you know, so what, what I mean... There's this this analogy is going to sound crazy, but what it reminds me of is several years ago. This is one of my favorite acts of of uh, comedic satire of all time, which is when um, when there was that whole controversy where the Danish newspaper did the cartoon of, about Muhammad and, oh, yeah. and Muslims were upset about it, and then the Israeli cartoonist organized the Jewish anti-Semitic cartoon con- contest where the, he had Jews write the most anti-Semitic political cartoons possible and submit them, and he curated them. And, he, and, he, and, and then I heard him interviewed, and he was like, anybody can make fun of the other guy. Yeah. You know, that's... That's that's hacky. As Jews, we're supposed to be the best at this. Yeah, right. that's, you know. That's what I meant about the, some of the people walking out that were that were gay because they they felt it was homophobic to like ex- explore that and to and to push it. Um, and it's so it's so it like and how do you how do you feel like the the some of the camp stuff has sort of managed uh, the 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 laughing at versus laughing with. One of the interesting problems with camp is that, it, like, it is so much about embracing what is ridiculous and people make fun of about us, but that so frequently goes back to effeminacy and being like women. And, like, recently yeah. there's been a lot of trans people thinking that gay people are making fun of, uh, gay men are making fun of them, women who take drag as a, an insult. Um, and I think that that's really just missing the point of 
being in a world that's told you that you're wrong for loving the things that you love and being unrepentant about loving them and loving every aspect of them, loving the most ridiculous parts of Mildred Pierce, you know, um, because it's great. It's a woman triumphing. I, I agree. And I mean, if there's going to be acrimony, uh, you know, from your own, so to speak, you got to remember uh, that we're not a very <clears throat> cohesive community, LGBT, that's convenient to say, but we're fractured by everything, ethnicity, class, background, gen. I mean, it's amazing, but when we do come together, we come together. So in the beginning, it used to really piss me off that there was, oh, they don't get it. You know, I'm so clever and they don't get it. They're the, they're the babosos, micosa, the Latinos. Uh, but then I said, just bring it. You know, if, you, if you're not there, you're not there. I, I would prefer, you're not comfortable with it, that's one thing, but you know, don't trivialize it. Don't go after because you're really hurting your. You know, you're really yes. hurting the overall gay rights issue. If if that's what I can call it today, um, I I like embracing it. And you know, I don't know if you, you saw the cockettes when they were around. And hell, in the straight world, uh, I think one of the first camp TV shows I ever saw was Batman. You know, <laughs> I mean that is camp. You know, so and not necessarily gay gay, but still, yeah. you know. So, uh, so one of the things, like. So last night, Tom, Guy and I were, were hanging out at the bar, uh, the Armory, um, uh, 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 having some cocktails underneath some paintings of bondage. And... Uh, You're in church? Oh. <laughs> and the, the, the Stations of the Cross. Yes. Um, and, the, and what we were talking about is I, somebody had recently asked me the question about why there aren't more mainstream gay male co- comedians. And one of the things that came out of that conversation is that, like, the stand-up voice is... The idiom is so much tied up in this, like, Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, Richard Pryor dick. history of the social c- dick. critic. Uh, and Guy was saying that that sort of gay people have had drag as a vehicle for social criticism and commentary and performance and satire. Well, they what do you think about that? Yeah, well, you know, the um, the... They've used it, too, politically against people. Uh, so that's where I think the self-oppression comes. And that when they support that, if you are queer. But, you know, like the guy, what's his name, Hormel? Because he had a picture taken with, I mean, it was like Savonarella. You know, he had his picture taken with the nuns. And so, therefore, he was unsuitable. Yeah. To, they threw everything at him. And then we had a big issue when I was on the Board of Supervisors about they do the Easter and the Hunky Jesus, and they were going to ban it or something. And, you know, I had to stand up as a supervisor and defa- Anyway. They still went after David Campos for going to a function at kink.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to drop walk a mile in my heels? You're not going <laughs> to finish that story? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but, any, yeah. So, I don't know what your question was because... We're so self-involved. <laughs> what, what were you asking? <laughs> I think that there are two really interesting things about gay male homosexuality as a marginalized status that play into this. One of them is invisibility, and the other one is triviality. Like, it's the thing of they're constantly trying to trivialize us and say that you're not valid, you're not important because you're paying attention to this stupid stuff, which means every gay guy who wants to get taken seriously in any way has to be as invisible about that stuff is supposed to be what Hormel was supposed to be is upstanding guy in a suit just pretending to be 70% of a straight guy. Wealthy. <laughs> yes. And like, it's it's considered that the minute, like, the other the other day I had a guy tell me like, oh, well, the stuff you do, it's not, it's not really 
it's it's a little out there. And it's like, what? I just talked about reality TV. And, you know, it's like just being gay is considered to be this, like, transgressive weird thing that's a little bit too much for people. And they can't look past it. I got really rambly there. No, no. I mean, it's a, re- it's a real life experience, especially when you're a performer. Yeah. And I think the, the take on performing is, oh, how liberal. But it really does come down to money and, you know, what the market is. And if, if the guys who are after Hormel, uh, if they knew their history, I mean, I thought, didn't the Nazis round up people because of association and then isn't that the thing you know where it's we'll hurt your family we'll hurt your friends we'll hurt your supporters right i'm sure they don't see themselves that way when they brought up the nuns you know with hormel saying but that's exactly what it is and also we're one thing about drag queens is we're used to doing this in safe safe places in ways that we know are us we we go and are trivial at a gay bar with a drag queen who is physically declared to be an all rights person to be like mediating that experience for us going to the punchline and us talking about the tom and i the disgusting things that we do is going to make those straight-laced gay guys feel uncomfortable in a way that they would be more comfortable if they knew that they were in a safe space that was all family right i mean that i that stuff comes up for every you know I mean, n- not to keep drawing the analogy to Jews, but like I have, jo- I have jokes about the Holocaust, where like you know, my mom will say, "Well, I think it's funny, but I'm worried that it, how about how anti-Semitic." It's, uh, yeah. uh, it's all Shonda Fertigoyan. Like right. it is all Shonda Fertigoyan. <laughs> scandal for me. Yeah. It's hard to scandalize me though. So, uh, what's uh, for both of you? What's your uh, just your favorite example of the power of camp? Well, again, I'm going to go back to, because it was so personal, um, Jose Sadia, who uh, was a very well-known uh, artist here. He also bridged the gap with um, uh, politics. He ran for supervisor like in 1960-something, the first openly gay. And, you know, uh, he performed at the Black Cat. He did the campy operas. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Sid Caesar show where they, years ago... Uh, uh, there's probably kinescopes of it, you know, where they did, made fun of opera because of all the overabundance of gesture yeah. and girth. And he, he would do that, you know, he'd do uh, uh, things of that order. And uh, when he performed it, it just brought the house down. Then he ran for supervisor, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't win, but everyone realized that not only was he openly gay, but that he did drag and that he was campy. And so he brought that into the political arena. And he, when he made comment, there was another guy, too. Um, oh, geez. See, this is the senior moment. Uh, but, oh, Pierce. I can't think of his first name right now. Uh, he used to uh, perform in and around, usually in drag, like Betty Davis or something. But he'd make very pithy uh, political remarks, uh, you know. So I think, uh, to me, that... And then Jose, every year, would do the Widow Norton, and we'd go out to Daly City, to the cemetery, mm-hmm. and there was actually... The, the real uh, Emperor Norton was buried there, so he was the Widow Norton, and then there'd be this big... Uh, you know, he was in drag, and everybody else was in drag, the old black lace, and, you know, I'm in mourning kind of thing. And it was hysterical, but it was all done with a little bit of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Um, so I think that, to me is my uh, ultimate uh, uh, dra- you know, camp take on life and bringing it into politics and then having a career. And, uh, and Jose was revered. You know, he just died 
recently. Uh, one of his funniest things, I always liked it because he said, you know, because uh, he, he had some tough times. He goes, every morning I would wake up and look into the mirror and I go, good morning, Mary. <laughs> and I'd start my day. And now I always, I think of that sometimes too. I look at me and go, well, God, life is shit. Good morning, Mary. So there's an inspiration there too. Yeah. Not to get all hokey, but. Got well, it. Uh, a, um, to what Tom is saying, I've uh, like, Gay culture is about getting yourself through the day. Like, we're not going to make biological children and no religion wants us. You know, why Why should I keep going today? And the answer is fun yellow sunglasses like Tom is wearing. Good morning, Mary. You know, give yourself something fun to do. Uh, my favorite camp moment is probably when Oscar Wilde was on trial, like, vehemently denying his homosexuality. Like, vehemently denying his homosexuality. They asked him if he had... Uh, kiss this one street urchin and his response was no he's very plain and <laughs> I just love that in this isn't moment it, isn't it fabulous like him trying to be respectable <clears throat> and like he couldn't he, like he couldn't stop himself from just like being that bitch and admitting who he was and f so much of it is that for such a long time we have had to code identifying ourselves That's to each other yeah. <clears throat> um what was the one? Oh, Tennessee Williams, when he was asked straight out, and I guess it was Donny, I don't know, are you gay? And he said, I cruised the waterfront. I thought that was good. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so you want to talk about looking. I just, because it's such a San Francisco show, and like, you are so much. You should get residuals. Yes, you should get residuals. Have they you, don't do uh, gay politicians. They've, they've yeah. stayed away from it, I've noticed. Um, have you seen the show, and what are your thoughts Yes, on I it? have, and I, I had a big... Um, uh, re uh, resistance to it. I thought it was going to be crap. And it didn't start out so well. But there are nuances of things. There's wonderful things that happen between him and his mother. Who played his mother? Um, uh, Julia Duffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just So there's little little parts of genius in there. Sometimes it gives me a little stiffy, too. You know what I mean? The guys are hot, let's face it. Um, <laughs> there was a I, fucking I, scene at the, in one of the last episodes yeah, that was so good. Yeah, the guy with the ears. Yes. I, just, <laughs> I just saw him in a horror movie. Uh, so I think there's... I think it's a mixed bag, yeah. and if if you can overcome my resistance, because you know I'm really like, oh, I'm 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 the final arbiter of everything that's gay. Uh, they're doing something right, and I I do think they're trying. Yes. So it's it without being too solicitous, you know. Um, so I I would look forward to see. You know, I'll well, give it a chance. What you're saying is that you wouldn't turn down a walk-on part in a love scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've long said the minute they put Margaret Gomez on that show, then I respect that show, and I will now extend that to include Tom Amiano. I just think it's, it's boring, and it's trying to be... It, like, it doesn't want to have to be the camping Nance. It wants to be able to be gay, but it doesn't understand that in the course of being gay and fucking people and having real lives, you also have a good time, you know? Um, there's, there's just... There's no good morning, Mary, to it. Um, not yet, no. Not yet. Not yet. Um, yeah, they, they, they do shy away from that. Um, I'm just interested to see what kind of development it goes through. Well, and also, gay people are terrible at watching representations of ourselves because we're not used to it. We're just used to watching Betty Davis and deciding that we're like her. And watching actual gay people in a movie is always a little bit like, eh, what's going on? I think the ones who come out now, regardless of the motivation, and then they continue their career, I think that's good for young people. Yeah. That part. I don't, you know, I don't want to be, a, you know, the worst thing is a role model. I don't necessarily want to be a role model. I want, I want to be listened to. 
And, uh, you know, there, I think there's a place for that. But if that's the only, if that's the only shading, then we're, then, then we're in trouble. You know, they had the Goldbergs when I was a kid, uh-huh. 50s TV. That, and, and she was wonderful. It was benign plots and everything like that. But it really was one slice, you know, of an urban Jewish couple. And it, it was also happening uh, 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 around the same time as the Rosenbergs. So, I mean, Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, like, the Cosby show did its job in getting everybody to chill out about the possibility of a black family. Yeah. And then we were able to move past it, I suppose. Yeah. We don't have... But do you still watch it to get annoyed? Oh, I do that, of too. Of course, of course. <laughs> to, you should do a critique. So. <laughs> he, he, what, what, uh, 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 Guy has a pretty brisk Twitter feed. And, oh, I bet. And so, <laughs> periodically, he'll, his, his Twitter feed basically alternates between discussions of like Canadian parliamentary procedure and <laughs> deconstructing the semiotics of looking. Mostly just bitching about the things they do in this city. They manage to make the city look not beautiful sometimes and that's ridiculous. Yeah, not and you're not being evicted and and, 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 and all that. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, before we before we adjourn, I just wanted to uh, Tom, congratulations on getting married. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, Haven't I suffered enough? I know. <laughs> Way to take one for the team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you ever see that thing? I love my gay son who never calls. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I can't wait for your podcast, Tom. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to look forward to it. Um, I'm also uh, thinking of a one-man show, um, and I've uh, started uh, conversations, as they say, with the Marsh. That's and uh, that's something... Um, you know, it's discipline. It's hard. Awesome. I don't have to tell you how hard it is. And and to, and, and, uh, and the, these are the things that you're trying to come up with that will be excuses for when people come next year to tell you to run for mayor. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I can't it. do that because I have a one man show. I, I can't could, run for mayor. I, I could use it as a platform. <laughs> yeah, right. Can I ask one last question? Sure. Okay. So camp is so much about saying the things you say while undermining them at the, at the same time. Politics is about not doing that. Politics is about saying one thing. Uh, like, how have you how have you managed to balance that? I've been a very campy politician, and it <laughs> seems to translate to so, you know, just uh, a humor is a, a big help in politics, uh-huh. and you can shake a lot of people up uh, with it. And uh, one of the most right wing Republicans uh, recently texted me. I hasn't e- I haven't even you know seen him since uh, whatever. And he just said, oh, you're the Giants are going to win and, and all that. And I said, well, I know he's a Steelers fan. So, and this guy is so everything, you know, uptight, Republican, right wing. And uh, I said, it's too bad about the Steelers because he's a Steeler fan. And he wrote back to me, well, what position would you play? <laughs> I mean, on the team, Tom, on the team. <laughs> so it kind of loosened him up. So we were, he, made, he was so proud of himself that yeah. he made that joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, what that makes me, you know. That what was the last there was, there was the last bill that you were working on in the assembly, uh, that that uh, not to withhold evidence. Yeah, and that would if you had good evidence that proved you were innocent, and I withheld it because it's a tactic. Yeah, and then you went to jail for seventeen years. Yeah, so the bill would have changed. That. So so there's this video on YouTube 
it's this great video where like like the whole legislature is giving Tom you know accolades and applause and standing ovations for years of service. I mean, from my from having observed you for many years, I, my sense is the answer to that question, your answer to the guy's question, in part, is to be uncompromising all the time as a politician and never to apologize for who you are and what you do, because you're watching this video of ten minutes of people cheering for you and all your great service, and then you were like, "Fuck you, vote for my bill." <laughs> <laughs> you bunch of sellouts. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom and Guy. Thank you. Thank you. That was the NATO sessions with California Assemblyman Tom Amiano and comedian Guy Branham. Uh, if you like the show, you can rate it, review it, share it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. The NATO Sessions is edited by Steve Bissinger, produced by Dan Wolf, theme music by DJ Real. Check us out. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks.